Prayer is so important. And, and we do offer this prayer every Sunday. And so, as we hear these words out of the Gospel of Matthew, don't just hear the words, right? Don't, don't just hear the words. Notice the introduction to this. There are seven petitions within the prayer that we speak every Sunday, and we're going to explore those this morning. But don't just go there. You're also going to hear about fasting, prayer, and how we pray. Thanks, Betsy. This is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. Bringing the screens down for this service so that we can walk through these together. You guys cannot stand up now, so even if you get excited, you've got to stay seated, okay? I want to start by asking the question, how do you view God? What is God for you? Because the way that you view God will have everything to do with how you pray or if you pray this prayer, or what you expect out of a prayer like this. How you view God is so important. And I I just want to remind you, I I view God as unfathomable, as so huge, but a constant movement. Somebody who is constantly, something that is constantly, a force that is constantly moving in, around, and through us toward a greater good. A greater good of wholeness and balance and equity. A greater good of health. And that force is palpable. It's tangible if we open ourselves to it. I want that in mind as we go back now to when this was written. 
And a reminder that these words were written somewhere around 90. That would be 60 years after the life of Jesus. 60 years. But maybe even the bigger piece is that around 70, 20 years before these words were written, Rome came through Jerusalem and absolutely destroyed the temple. And a reminder that for any Jew, the temple is where God's essence dwelled. And there was a room in that temple where no one could go because it was so powerful that if you walked into that room, the Holy of Holies, you would instantly die because the power was so great. But it was contained somehow in that room, this Holy of Holies. The other place that God lived or that God dwelt or that God communicated was on the mountaintop was you could see God's presence on the mountaintop when the lightning struck or the thunder was there. And you remember the story of Moses going up and receiving the tablets of the Ten Commandments up on the mountaintop at Mount Sinai. That's where God would come if needed. And for most, God dwelt in a heavenly realm, in a place so far beyond anything we could understand that the only way to reach God in that time was by sacrifice. God was so huge and so judgmental and so much in need of our sacrifice that what you would do annually is you would go to the temple every year. You would take whatever money you had. You would go into the temple courtyard. You would exchange your money for the temple money. And then with that, whatever is left over, you then go buy whatever animal you can afford. And I, just a heads up, I've, I've shared this with you before, but it's a little gross. But just a heads up. So if you need to shut your ears and hum, then, then do that. But then you would take that animal, and you had no right to take that animal before God. Only a priest could take that animal before God, and that priest would take it to the altar priest, who would then cut that animal open. And I'm thinking of a dove right now, because that was the cheapest of the sacrifices. But they would get as large as a steer, And they would cut that animal open and they would take their hand and they would pull out the entrails and they would inspect those entrails. And if the entrails were pure, clean and healthy, that meant that your relationship with God was in good shape and that you would potentially be blessed for the remainder of the year. This was a good sign that you were pleasing in God's eyes. If it was not healthy, if it was blemished, then there was an issue. Then what they would do is they would take the unblemished animal and there was a huge altar, huge. I mean, at least a half the size of this chancel area up here. And there were pots of fire throughout that altar, raised altar. And the altar priest would take that animal and they would bring it, including the entrails, and they would throw it in the fire. Why? Because... God needed that sacrifice, but the only way that God knew of that sacrifice was, and by the way, where did God live? A heavenly realm, which was up. And so that sacrifice, when burned, would allow that fragrant offering. You've heard that term, right? The fragrant offering, that smoke of this burning animal up into the nostrils of this God, and God would receive it, God would receive it, and you would be set for another year. This is a distant God. This is a powerful, vengeful God. 
This is a God of either punishment or prosperity. One of the two. Nothing in between. This was a God who was so holy that you couldn't even speak the name. Overwhelming. Overwhelming. Now, I want you to look at this prayer. And and, and before we look at the prayer, look at this introduction. What does it say? And by the way, when you would go and pray before this God, you would go and throw yourself prostrate before this God. You would yell your prayers. You would make a visible sign of them beyond the sacrifice. Because otherwise God would never hear you. What does Jesus say then? Jesus says, no. Jesus then says, find a quiet place. And go into that quiet place. And don't babble. Don't keep talking. God knows what you need before you ask it. So go. Go into that quiet place. I will now admit to you where my quiet place is in this church. And it is a bizarre place. It is one of the smallest, darkest rooms in the church. And I go there almost every Sunday before worship. I go down the secret stairway. Took me a year to find the secret stairway. (laughs) I go down the secret stairway, and those that may be new, there's a secret stairway just out there beyond Smith Hall that goes down into, I mean, beyond Friendship Hall that goes down into Smith Hall. And I open the two dark doors, and I walk through Smith Hall around the corner, and there are two little tiny bathrooms. And I go into the men's. And it's about this big. And you know what? There's a natural chair there. And I sit on that natural chair. Others might call it a commode or toilet. Uh, By the way, I've shut the door and it's dark. And the other beauty is the sink is this far in front of you so you can lean over. And every Sunday I go down into that room and I pray for you. That's not the only time I pray for you. But every Sunday morning I go down and I pray for you and for this worship service in that quiet, small space. That's what he says to do. And he says, don't go on babbling. I, that's the real, I mean, I love that translation. Don't go on babbling. Don't, don't keep talking. Don't, I mean, sometimes just say what you need to say and be quiet. And oh, by the way, maybe here's what you need to say. And what you're going to hear this morning are seven petitions that we say every Sunday. Seven Very holy number. Again, four is of the earth when you see this in Scripture. Three is of heaven when you see this in Scripture. And seven is the combination of heaven and earth. And this is that prayer that we speak every Sunday. So, let's take a look at the prayer. John, let's say it together, this part of it. Our Father, Remember what I said about your belief about God is going to dictate how you view this prayer. Again, if God is so distant that God is inaccessible, then why would we even say this prayer? God is this incredible power of love. And by the way, how often have I said to you in the last five weeks, every single one of us is a beloved child of God. Every single 
one of us is a beloved child of God. God deserves this kind of honor as we prepare to spend time. And by the way, Jesus uses a term as he begins this. And that term has created such debate around Christendom today. Because we want it to be a non-sexist language, right? And I get that. But we need to understand that suddenly when he uses this term, Father, what he has changed is their understanding and our understanding of what this God becomes for us. Not distant, not inaccessible, but intimate, intimately connected to every single one of us. Trying to use a term that we would understand. And God goes from here to here in that term. And it's why he uses this term. To take this grandiose and make it intimate. To move it from the holy of holies to the holy place of our hearts. It's an amazing switch for this population that at this point, having lost the temple, had no idea how to approach God anymore. Our Father, our parent, our loving parent, holy are you, holy are you. That sets up everything else. The next piece. Let's say it together. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Over the last few weeks, what I've talked about is this Jesus approaching all of this teaching, trying to help his disciples understand that the role of disciple, the role of a disciple is to create heaven on earth, is to create what was there at the Garden of Eden and bring it to today to create balance and wholeness and health and acceptance and equity, to bring that kingdom which exists in heaven to earth. And by the way, we all have a role in it. Help us bring that kingdom. Help us bring that heart and that intent and that will to earth. And let us create heaven right here. Right right here. Right now. But it doesn't stop there, because then it goes into the next piece, which is. Does this really mean us? Does this really mean our? Oh God, give me what I need. Give me what I want. But if we combine these two of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then this begins to make more sense. Because give us on earth the nourishment that we need. I want to remind you of the population who was hearing this. This population were hungry. They had need for food. They recognized that there was a God. They recognized that there needed to be heaven on earth. They recognized those things. But it's hard to move beyond any of it if you're hungry. Give us this day this day, 
our daily bread, ties it back to the manna in the desert as Moses was leading the people of Israel through, the Hebrew people through the wilderness, and God provided them nourishment daily. Give us this day our daily bread. There is enough in this creation for all. And we have a role in providing for all. And how you interpret how that comes out, we're not going in there. Because there's a, that's a whole political debate. But the mandate is there, friends. Give us this day our daily bread and may we share it in ways that all will be fed. And by the way, we don't always do it well, and so comes the next phrase. Do you notice the reciprocal relationship that exists in this part of that prayer? And the reciprocal relationship is so important, and Jesus says, has already dealt with it in so many different ways. Remember, over those weeks I used this hand motion, that it was all about trying to help everyone understand that they were equal in the eyes of God, that everyone is a beloved child of God. Everyone. And when we do this, we break that covenant. When we do this, when we judge when we do those things that were listed just before this, we break that covenant. And again, reminder that the word sin, trespass, debt, whatever word you want to use for this, means missing the mark. But notice, forgive us our trespasses. Help us admit that we fail. Help us see those places in our own lives first where we may be missing that mark. Because until we do that, it will be virtually impossible to do the next one. If we... No, not that one. Go back one, John. The next part of this phrase. If we're not able to seek and receive forgiveness, offering it is virtually impossible. It's that mirror piece again. It's that mirror piece again. This doesn't have to be done around guilt. We don't have to feel guilty about these things. But my gosh, we all recognize that there are things that we do. And especially when it deals with equity and balance and wholeness. All those kinds of things that we do that make that disconnect. And we need forgiveness for those things. But here's the other deal with that first one. I think part of the challenge in the midst of this, and Jesus clearly recognized this, was it is so difficult for us to forgive ourselves. So hard. And yet I will tell you now, that in itself is sin. If we don't accept that forgiveness, if we don't then let go of those things, who do we think we are? And that's the other side of the warm blanket that now surrounds Jeff. Is we surround ourselves with that guilt and that shame and those things that we're not willing to forgive like a warm blanket and that becomes normal for us. And what I'm asking of you is to shake that. Change that. Don't do that. Let those things go. And allow the gap that's created by that to be filled by God. 
And watch the way that the world becomes transformed in the midst of that. Once that's done, we will clearly understand how we go and forgive others. And it becomes so much easier. God, It's so hard though, isn't it? I mean, for me to go to Norma and say, Norma, I have failed you and I, I, I need your forgiveness for that failure. But I know Norma. And Norma would come back and say, First of all, thank you for that. Second of all, you're forgiven. And then we would move on in our relationship. This prayer is done in community. And that is part of the building and the deepening of community. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. But we have to seek it first. And we have to seek it even around those things that we hoard in the world. Next. Temptation comes in so many shapes and sizes and flavors. I was upstairs in, in, in you know, uh, kind of, Cora has this little, she calls it her sweet. She's so happy that all the rest of the kids are gone. Because so she has you know two basically one's a bedroom and one's her like TV watching room and I was up there uh, watching the Husky game uh, yesterday late afternoon and and uh, Daniel uh, Flaff was sitting right here this morning and Daniel is one of my training coaches and and we we had just had lunch uh, last Thursday and uh, it was so interesting as he was sitting here and I was admitting this that that. So it's Cora's room, right? So what's, what's laying there is I'm, you know, kicking back, watching the Huskies, uh, you know, in this game, and my foot hits something. Just, just barely tucked under, um, it's, it's, it's a daybed, right? Just tucked under that daybed. It was her Halloween candy. <laughs> I'm watching the Husky game. You gotta have food, right? I took one. Then I went to the piece of the prayer right before this. You know, Cora, forgive me, for I took one of your pieces of Halloween candy. It was a baby Ruth. And she forgave me because she hates baby Ruth. (laughs) Temptation comes in so many ways, but the temptation, friends, is not about Halloween candy. The temptation is to not do any of the preceding pieces of this prayer. That's the temptation. The temptation is to go back and not do those things. Of not realizing our role in the world. Of not realizing what we seek to be for the sake of God and for the sake of bringing heaven to earth. And any time we elevate ourselves and judge others, guess what? Heaven is not coming to earth. Anytime we don't share what we have, heaven is not coming to earth. Anytime we, we subjugate anyone else in a relationship, heaven is not coming to earth. Anytime we say those words that you heard from Jesus, raka, which means airhead, basically. We are elevating ourselves and diminishing someone else. Or you fool, same thing. Lead us not into temptation. And by the way, God's not leading us into temptation. We can find that temptation on our own. Believe me, we don't need God's help. 
It's, it's, it's stated interestingly in the English language. Help us overcome that temptation. Help us overcome that temptation. Next slide, John. Wow. Friends, as many of you know, uh, I've seen evil in the world firsthand. Young teenagers, 14 years old, 57 of them in my five years in the church at Sunnyside with a single shot from a revolver in the back of the head, execution style, and doing their funerals and trying to explain this to their families. There is evil in the world. You talk to any veteran who has been in a war, at least most of them will say, it's evil, and that's where evil is in the world. There is evil in the world, but it can be combated. And again, we saw that in Sunnyside, and I see that every day here. But there are other places where evil just is this kind of proving ground. I don't know how many of you got the email from the Orion Center in Seattle last week that because of funding, they're having to cut back their programs, which means that some of the youth and young adults that are on the streets in the city of Seattle will no longer have a safe place to go. And there are so many reasons why those kids are on the streets. And some of them have to do with evil in the world around things like domestic violence. And they have nowhere to go. And they escape that violence and they end up in horrific places. There is evil in the world. And we have to respond to that. And this prayer says so. It's not just us, again. Not just me, not just you. Deliver us this world us, this community of world from evil. Those are the beginning. Those are the six. But then we pray this last one. Let's say it together. We can't do this alone. And so the end of this prayer, we respond to God one more time and say, now we understand your heart. Now we understand the intimate relationship that you seek. Now we understand that this is the kingdom that your desire, your heart, your intent is seeking to bring to this planet. And now we see our role and what this is saying, now help us with our role. I don't know that there's any more powerful prayer on the planet than this one. Jeff, can I borrow the blanket for a minute? How you doing there, buddy? Feels good, doesn't it? Yeah, this blanket will be available anytime now. I mean, even at harvest dinner tonight. If you need the blanket, just come and say so. The prayer that we pray every Sunday is about being in community together. It is about trying to enhance community. It's about giving and receiving. It's about reciprocal things. And I, I want to just go personal with you for just a second. And... Um, I was sitting with one of my best friends uh, at lunch on Thursday, uh, and I'm sorry, on Friday, and, and Ray and I get together about once a month, and I, I can tell him anything. Um, 
And I, I shared with him how deeply I'm struggling with what you saw in the Thursday email. And the person who came to me with this whole love offering idea uh, for us um, knows that I said no, and then I said no, and then I said no, and then I talked to my wife. I don't receive well. And I will admit that to you. I use a little different language in first service. I don't receive well. Ray said to me, as did others who are sitting here today, that part of the role that we have with each other is to receive. Here's why I'm concerned about that offering. Is I, I know, and there were two or three folks sitting in first service that I knew really could use help. And I know that there are others in the sanctuary right now who could use help. And I know that we are now in the second week of this whole stewardship understanding. And I just thought the timing is terrible. What Ray said to me was, no, the timing is perfect. But here's what I'm going to say to you. If you want to give to that love offering for Dorothy, okay, but please don't have it impact anything that you're doing for the church. Please. Please don't do that. But your heart is so this. David Tinney and I have talked about your heart when he went through his incident on the bike and his hospitalization. Carol and I spent a lot of time talking about you in the midst of that. And I just asked today, Dorothy went through, there is no other word for what she went through on Friday. It was horrific. And our prayer is that she will be able to be here tonight for the harvest dinner. She wanted me to apologize again to you, Alan. I know, but you know her. You know, and to the choir. She misses you, and, and, but there was no way that she could be here given what happened on Friday. And... And we appreciate your prayers. And in the midst of this at first service, Laura Wall, who had this blanket around her, came and wrapped it around me. And I, I, I'm going to wrap it around Dorothy today. But I, I just want to thank you for your love. And I want you to know that we receive it. But it's hard. It's really, really hard for me. And so I ask for your prayer around that. I do. And I thank you for that love. And it's how we are to be with each other. Will you pray with me? God, you are so powerful. And yet the power that you bring is a power of love. You seek from us to not only receive that power, but to share it. You seek from this community to both give and receive the power of that love. Help us remember that we are a community and that within that community we do in fact share. And God, I just personally ask for help with that. I thank you for this church. 
I thank you for how and why and what they do. And even now, I ask your blessing on our time together this afternoon that it will be the family coming together for Thanksgiving, the family of Aldersgate. I thank you for all the hands and for all that you give. All this in Christ's name. Amen.